Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buckeye Talk is brought to you by ShopOhioState.com and the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore, the finest place online and in person for all the best Ohio State apparel, and MinutemanTickets.com, all your ticket needs, a national selection with the local feel. Make our ticket guys your ticket guys. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We are standing in an empty Ohio stadium. What time is it? It's 8.20. We're going to try to do half-hour post-game podcasts. This is your regular Buckeye Talk crew, Tim Bielek, Bill Landis, Doug Maurice. We do this every Wednesday, all year. All year! Did we miss one? Not even on vacation. No, we still did one. And we're going to do them. We, we've been doing this. We're going to do a post-game podcast after every game. Again, to repeat, we'll try to keep it to half an hour. Many great Questions. What was the score of the game, Tim? 77 to 31 in favor of Ohio State. <laughs> 77 points is ridiculous. I feel like we have, and it's the second time in three years they've scored 77 in an opener. I didn't, I feel like I didn't absorb that yeah. very well when it was happening. Yeah. 77! But because they had to score 77 basically to cover, because right. the defense gave up 31 to, uh, Corvallis High School. Um, <laughs> So if the sound quality is not great, it's because we're shouting into a 105,000-seat stadium because we can't be in the press box because they kicked us out. We're going. We move. Yeah, we get a little cover, maybe. We're also we in cover? front of an open aisle here, one of the open concourses. We're moving. See if this is better. All right. Questions. Great questions. Pete Sherman at our guy at 42 Wallaby Way. What the hell is wrong with the secondary? <laughs> There's two themes to most of the questions. And you'll see it develop quickly. What the hell is wrong? We did a video on it. One thing that's wrong is Jordan Fuller didn't play. And, like, I don't want to, like, single guys out. They're college kids. They get put in situations. I I didn't think Jocelyn Wint looked like he was playing at the level we would expect of an Ohio State starter. It was his first game playing very much. Yeah. And he's not supposed to be a starter. He didn't win a starting job. Isaiah Pryor and Jordan Fuller did, and Jordan Fuller didn't play with the hamstring. Alex Grinch, after the game, said he tested it out today. He was trying to see if he could go. He's very close. They fully expect he will be back next week against Rutgers. So part of it is there's just a guy who wasn't as good as the other guys who had some look like looked like bad angles, maybe he was not in the right spot. Yeah. And some of those 30 and 40 yard gains on the ground turned into 60 and 70 yard gains as a result. That's a component. What are the other components? I don't, I, I'm mostly on that. I think it's youth and it, like, 
I don't want to pin it on one guy because it wasn't one guy. I hope the linebackers also played poorly, and that led to some of it. Young linebackers also. I really think they missed Jordan Fuller, and I think a lot of it was contingent on that. Um, the safeties like came flying up the field a lot and got out of position. The one long touchdown run where it looked like Antoine Jackson might have had the stop, he missed the tackle, but then like if you watch behind the play a little bit, it's Jocelyn Wynn again just running full bore into the line of scrimmage, like nowhere near where the ball carrier was. And like again, I'm hesitant to put it all on him because it wasn't just him. The secondary in general I thought was very bad in run, cover- run coverage. Um, the angles they took to tackle guys um, out of position. Once a guy got through the first level, sometimes there really wasn't much else there for him to run through. Um, Ohio State made up for it sometimes with their speed. I think it's just youth. I think it's just youth. And we, we said after the game, we shot a video and asked, like, what our panic level was. I'm at a five because I think it's mostly youth and Jordan Fuller is going to be back. But I also think it's fair to expect guys like Isaiah Pryor and Jeffrey Okuda and Damon Arnett and Kendall Sheffield to, like, not make some of the mistakes or get caught in some of the positions they were caught in because those guys aren't freshmen. They're new starters, but they're not freshmen. And uh, most of them played last year to varying degrees. So I'm hanging it mostly on youth, but I think it's okay to be concerned with some of the guys who aren't in their first year in the program. All right, to keep it to half an hour, one of the things we're going to do is not have all three of us answer every question. So we're going to move on from that. But I will say, like, there was a slant, a little quick slant that went for a touchdown. That was both safeties. I think that was Isaiah Pryor was supposed to be in that area and let the ball get caught behind him, and then Wint was the second guy, and he had a bad angle on it, and Mm -hmm. boom. There were just there were bad angles and in the wrong spot more than it should happen. James Angel, Jimmy Angel the third. Of what we have seen of Mike Weber since the Michigan State game last year, is that enough to say that A, he is way better than he was in 2016, and B, he deserves 50% of the snaps at tailback? Tim, you start with that and start off by saying, first of all, how, what was the snap breakdown, roughly at least, between Dobbins and Weber? By my unofficial count, give or take maybe one was the margin of error. I had Dobbins at about 36 snaps and Weber at 33 snaps, including one where they were together and when Weber caught the jet sweep touchdown pass from Dwayne Haskins. Weber actually had more carries than Dobbins. It was 20 to 15, but Weber had 186 yards. He looked he looked like the same guy we saw in Michigan State when he looked faster than I think we've ever seen him. And maybe it's just, you know, confidence. Maybe it's being getting stronger, not being hampered by that hamstring from last season. And talking with Weber after the game, he talked about how he's got, how he's okay doing a 50-50 split with J.K. Dobbins, that they're willing to do whatever it takes. You mentioned, I think it was in a video a week or two ago, that they, there's the potential that Ohio State could do something in the, the way Georgia did last year and splitting carries down the middle with J.K. Dobbins and Sony Michelle. Sometimes when you do that, one guy has a better day than the other. So it wouldn't be surprised next week if J.K. Dobbins is a guy we're talking about that goes for 150 yards and three touchdowns. It, today was just Mike Weber's day and he just looked, he just looked really good today. Are we, are we at the point now where like Mike Weber is okay with splitting with J.K.? Like it's okay with Mike <laughs> Weber? That's what we, that's where we are after what he did today. No, I, I think it's, it's, it's both of them. I, I asked J.K. Dobbins about that after the game. Like, do you have to change your mindset at all because Mike's healthy? And some of the stuff you did last year, there were games where J.K. was getting 20-plus carries, and I just don't know if that's going to happen or how often it's going to happen. And he made the point that he only averaged 13 carries per game, but that's because like, he carried it four times against Iowa, and I think like five times in another game when they forgot how to run their offense. Um, he got it a lot last year, and that's changing for him. So I don't know. Like you're you're saying, like who like who now has the mindset of the starter who's like giving up their their share of things? Um, 
Maybe Weber? No, it's still Dobbins. It's, it's, it's like, it's great. You can't have too much talent. This is great. Unless it starts to not be great. Like, I, I'm not anticipating that at all, but we can't pretend that we're 100% sure that Ohio State's going to get through the season with two talented and both completely content tailbacks. I'm not predicting anything. I'm not saying we're sensing anything. I'm just saying sometimes this stuff can be difficult. And if people want to say brotherhood and whatever else, like I think they have two good tailbacks. And I, and I know Tony Alford was like, I don't care about the, whatever he said. I don't care about keeping people happy, whatever. When I asked him about that in the spring, mostly to get him to go off and it yeah. worked. <laughs> um, that's fine. You don't have to worry about keeping people happy when they're both happy. Yeah, if yeah. Mike Weber starts doing this more often and J.K. Dobbins does it a little less often and J.K. Dobbins is like, what? Then we'll see. Yeah, and it matters who they're playing. Like when you're playing Oregon State, you can have 100 offensive plays. There's plenty to go around. And a 20 to 15 split, I think it's going to make both guys pretty happy most of the time. But when you're playing TCU and you only get – how many offensive plays do they have today? They had – on the back I'm, right on the wrong, I'm on the wrong page. Um, they, was it 80-something? They ran 87 plays. Like when you play TCU and you only have like 60 plays? Right. Then what's the split? And then who's happy and who's not happy? And it was today they basically – they went alternated series basically. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like I, I would not at all be surprised if – that's what they continue to do. But like even Tim asked the question, I think in the second, when they started the second half, JK got the first series in the second half and it was a one play 75 yard touchdown to, to Terry McLaurin. And it was like, well, did that count? And then they came out for the second drive and Mike Weber was in. Yeah. So like if JK Dobbins is like, what? I didn't even get the ball and it was one play. But then I, that drive went longer and then Dobbins came in later in that drive. So like, I'm just, I'm just saying it's not a hundred percent guarantee. That all year, everybody's going to be a hundred percent content. Cause you know, we've seen it happen before when people want the ball and there's not enough balls to go around. Yeah. You got to be cognizant, I think, as a play caller that like, while that's not the number one thing on your mind, it's something you got to keep in mind is that delicate balance. And, and it's on Tony Alford. And I think Tony Alford is eminently capable of handling it. But I'm just saying, I think it's possible it becomes a thing that he does have to handle. It becomes a thing that's slightly more than I don't care about keeping them happy. It's like okay. Did we uh, answer the question? Yeah. Is he better? Like he's better. Like, he's you better. Think he's he's better? for sure better. Yeah. He's he- he's healthier than he was last year, and all he talked about going into last season was I'm faster, I'm faster, I'm not going to get caught from behind anymore, and he's not. He's better. Genilly, is it just me or are the holes bigger when Weber is out there? I a hundred percent thought that. Yeah, you thought I, that. Like I definitely thought, and it makes me want to go back and look at it. I definitely thought like a couple of Mike Weber's really big runs. It was like, well, Malcolm Pridgen just moved four guys 10 yards across the field. And of course, the tailback got 40 yards on that play or whatever. And I felt like a couple times that JK seemed to run into a wall a couple times that Mike Weber didn't run into the wall as much. Now, Mike Weber did break some tackles. He had some good outside runs. He got yards on his own for sure. But some of the yards that got him, what was it again? 180? 186. I mean, there's there's a good chunk of yards in there that were free and easy, and I felt like Dobbins didn't have as many free and easy yards. Yeah, I want to look at it again. It, I guess it felt that way, but like, there's no – I can't think give you a reason for it. He would, They were both running behind the same offensive line against the same defense. So I don't know what would have changed to make it that way, but it certainly felt that way, and I'm curious to go back and watch the game and, and see – 
on a rewatch if it still feels that way. So I will say this. So the three, I said there were two main topics. There's three. What's up like with the secondary slash mostly what's up with the secondary? What's up with Mike Weber? Isn't he awesome? And the third one is it Tate? Is Bill Davis. Oh. I just said about Tate. It, now you didn't send in a question, so we didn't get a ton <laughs> of Tate questions. But we do have some questions like this one from Saint Lil Rondon. What's up with Urban Meyer and hiring friends who are bad position coaches? <laughs> that is just gets right to the heart of the matter. We also had some people who just were sending general comments near the end of the game along the lines of, I can't wait to hear what Doug has to say about <laughs> Bill Davis in the postgame podcast. <laughs> Listen, they played young linebackers. We said we're excited that they're playing young linebackers. Those young linebackers, mostly Pete Werner and Baron Browning, who had not really played before. Malik Harrison is young, but he played a lot last year. They made mistakes. They made some good plays. But they also made some mistakes. That's normal. They can't make him against TCU. They really can't make him against Penn State. It's on Bill Davis as their position coach to make sure that doesn't happen. So I'm not going to kill Bill Davis because second-year linebackers who are talented and clearly won these jobs and good for Bill Davis and Greg Schiano for giving them – not giving them those jobs, but justly rewarding young talent. Good job on that. He has to get them ready. Yep. They can't just get themselves ready. He has to get them ready. And so I will give today to youth. And if they make the, if they make the same mistakes against TCU and really if they're making the same mistakes against Penn State, that's on Bill Davis. And then we will light up this podcast and many other stories about it. But at the moment, Ryan Shazier made a bunch of mistakes when he was first playing too. And he became Ryan Shazier, and Luke Fickle was his coach. Yeah. So, like, you know, stuff happens. So I'm not going to go completely nuts about it, but clearly they made mistakes. Yeah, you mentioned Pete Warner kind of making some mistakes. I had to look back to the box where you won't, you won't, you almost forget. He forced a fumble that turned into that Joey Bosa scoop up in the end zone for the touchdown. I think if if you're a if you're a coach, you'd rather see young guys make mistakes in, in these types of games where, you know, it's not going to kill you. I mean, when your offense puts up 77 points, if you make a mistake, yeah, you'll look at, look at it in film. You'll figure out what to do and make adjustments, but it's not something that's going to completely devastate you like it would against TCU in two weeks. Yeah, learning from mistakes is fine. It's just a question of whether or not the coach can actually teach off the mistakes. And it's one of those things. It's like and they're young, but again, you don't. It's only a twelve-game regular season. You don't get to be young for very long. Uh, Eric James Phillips. This is a really good question that I'm not equipped to answer. E. Phillips, OSU. Is it possible that Mike Weber is more the bell cow than J.K. due to the type of offense? J.T. Barrett clogged the middle and gave J.K. Dobbins the edge at running back. But now that it appears to spread out, Weber in between the tackles is a better option. The, the basic point is, and you wrote this, make sure you read Bill's story about how the offense has changed. We talked about it all offseason. We saw it on Saturday. Bill has a gigantic story, breaking it down piece by piece on Cleveland.com. If you don't read that, we're going to kick you off the podcast. But that point, is it possible that a certain style of tailback fits better with Dwayne Haskins as compared to JT Barrett? And for instance, I remember, and this is a, a, a drastic thing, but like Beanie Wells was awesome in 2006 and 2007. And then when Terrell Pryor was the quarterback in 2008, 
it was sort of like, how do we sort of like fit Beanie and Terrell? Beanie Wells was still Beanie Wells. He was a first round pick. He's unbelievable, but he didn't quite fit as well with Terrell Pryor and the style of offense as he fit before. Bill, you wrote about it. Is there something to that? Yeah, I think so. It's a good point. And and I I didn't necessarily think about that. Um, like personnel groupings, I guess, that work better with Dwayne Haskins. But Mike Weber is a little more power than J.K. I think that's true. I think they're about the same size, but Mike Weber just runs with a little more power. I think J.K. has got a little more shake to him. I think anybody who's watched the two would agree with that. Um, the thing they miss with J.T. is like the guy who can like always just sort of like, if it's third and three, he's going to get three and a half. He's going to fall forward and get the first down. I think Mike Weber's more of that guy than J.K. Dobbins is. So I buy some of that stuff. If you're If you're wondering about like the – the power downhill running game that you got a lot of with JT last year. Mike Weber is the guy to pick up some of that slack more than JK. I'll buy that. But I also don't, like, I don't think like JK is like a scat back who is in there for 10 snaps a game as like a change of pace. I think he's got power to him too. I think he's pretty sturdy. So I don't see a drastic difference between the two in that way. I think in this game, it played out that way, but I don't think that means it's going to play out that way the rest of the year. I think, um, I think they complement each other well, Mike and, and JK, because of like the little things they do differently. But I, I think on the on the whole, they're more similar than they are different. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it, I guess it remains to be seen whether that's true. It's a good point and one worth monitoring. And if they really start going with Mike and feeding him, then that's probably why. But I'm not ready to say that just yet based off this game. I, I want to get to this. This is this, we've talked about this a lot, and and a bunch of you have asked it. I, you know, Scott Barr asked it, but a bunch of other guys asked the same thing. Basically, now what do we think the breakdown should be or will be between Weber and Dobbins? We've talked about that a lot. You know, whether we thought sixty five thirty five, sixty forty. I think we were all sort of in the same range. Tim, if you were the coach, what would your breakdown be now? And then part two, what do you think the breakdown will be? We saw what it was today. What will it be going forward? I think it probably should be, I would put it now down to 60% Dobbins, 40% Weber, but I think you have to be willing to move that percentage around with a hot hand. And in talking to Ryan Day, it sounds like they really believe in the 50-50 split. Those guys are co-stars on the depth chart much as they were at the end of the season. Despite kind of Doug and my opinion, my Doug's opinion and my own that Dobbins should get more of the carries. I think today was kind of proof of that. I have a theory about the backs that I can get into another time. Um, as far as the Weber. Get to do it quick. Okay. The Georgia comparison. We got a long way to go for that, but maybe Weber is the Ch- Nick Chubb and J.K. Dobbins is the Sony Michelle. Got a long way to go to prove that, but the way I see those guys run, maybe there's a little similarities. Chubb didn't have much flash. Michelle was the flash. And, and, and the point, who made the point that actually they were not split last year? Did you look up the numbers? Yeah, they more, were, they were, I, th- I think Chubb had almost 100 more carries. Yeah. yeah. So, like, they split it and everybody was happy, but it was more like 60 40. I think yeah. we did the math. I think it was like 60 40. Yeah. So, wh- I'll just say really quickly, I think it's going to be 50 50. I don't know what I, like, I don't know what would get them away from rotating every series. And it's just an absolutely equal split, and circumstance will dictate some things. But I don't think they're going to ride the hot hand. I don't think someone's going to be a third down back. I don't think someone's going to be a goal line back. I think they're going to split every part of the job completely equally. And I said in the offseason, I would lean on Dobbins. And after today, I don't know how I, I don't know how I could say that. I mean, Mike yeah. Weber looked good. I think J.K. Dobbins had did not have opportunities to look his best. And I think maybe. Maybe against TCU's, like J.T. Dobbins goes nuts, and you're like, oh, yeah, he should get it more. But for now, I'm, I think they are 50-50, and I completely agree with that. I agree. 
Michael Jordan. This is Bill was a short on that, so Mike, we'll give Bill this. Michael Jordan question. It was about Michael Jordan, and it is about his snapping. And did you look at Michael Jordan, Bill? Do you like? Do you have a thing? Because I'll get the actual question as you ponder. Michael Jordan, Scott Barr at Bar Hopper. Michael Jordan seemed to snap the ball well today, but did you see anything to indicate how he handled other responsibilities at center? Also, if this works out, does Bill Landis get credit for his speculation this summer that obviously influenced the coaching staff? I think I deserve credit. I'll take I'll take a small amount of money. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't watch Michael Jordan as much as I thought I would today because it was pretty apparent early on that Oregon State does not have a defensive line. So I don't really know how much there was to glean from it, to be honest. Um, the snaps were good. He didn't snap the ball over anybody's head. The snaps looked clean. Um, I didn't notice him, which is like the thing you always say with offensive linemen. If you don't notice him, it means they played well. I was watching Malcolm Pridgen a little more um, just because that's how it kind of played out today. Um but I thought he was good. I thought Jordan was good. I thought Pridgen was pretty good. Pridgen was probably responsible for the intercept, the the play on which Haskins got hit and threw the pick. I think it was Pridgen who got beat. The guy came up the middle. Um, but the offensive line was really good, and they didn't they didn't face much of a test. Um, and I don't know how good Rutgers' defensive line is. I'm assuming it's a little better, and their defense as a whole will be a little more organized than Oregon, Oregon State's was. Um, so next year, next week will be a better gauge. But for the first game with a bunch of guys in new positions, um, I think you should be really happy with how the offensive line played. And as we've stated, I think in analyzing. The good teams that Ohio State's going to play; those tests against defensive lines are coming. Yeah, T- I mean, TCU is going to be a really good test, and the TCU is missing its starting nose tackle, but it still has a good defensive line. Penn State has a good defensive line. Michigan and Michigan State do too. So, so it's coming. It wasn't today, but it's coming. G Nilly at G Nilly ninety seven. I'll take this one. I, I'm very interested in this, and I, I would like to maybe get into Ryan. Ryan Day won't answer it. It's one of those things. It's not sometimes worth wasting questions when you know he's not going to answer it. Was the offense today unshackled in Urban's absence? When he comes back, does it go back to being more conservative? Hmm. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think it's unshackled. I think that was the offense you'll see. I don't know if maybe they wouldn't have, I think maybe we, we wondered, like, what well, is Ryan Day's presence more likely or less likely that they put up a big number? I think Urban might have pulled back a little sooner, even though there was, like, Brian Sneed and Master Teague running for touchdowns. Um, I thought it was possibly smoother by Urban not being there because – we know it's collaborative. They love to talk about how much it's collaborative. But today, with Urban Meyer at home, and ESPN reported he was at home, Kevin Wilson was up in the box, and Ryan Day, already the primary play caller, was now the acting head coach on the sideline by himself. Other people were there, but he didn't care. He had Kevin Wilson in his ear, which is great, telling him what he saw up high. But I'm imagining Ryan Day got to do what he wanted to do. When Urban Meyer comes back, Ryan Day is going to do what he suggests they do. And every now and then, Urban Meyer has veto power. Urban Meyer is going to say, hey, I want to do this kind of thing on this next series. And it adds another voice to the mix. And there's been varying things over the years. Different people have reported different things. I've heard conflicting versions of different things. But you sometimes get the idea that there's too many hands in the cookie jar. And... Who was to blame in 2015? I mean, I, you can find reasons to blame Urban Meyer more or Ed Warner more or Tim Beck more. I think at various times all people associated with all of them had reason to try to blame other people. In the end, it didn't work. I think you can have too much collaboration. I understand that it's the Ohio State offense, and Urban Meyer talks about that a million times. I'm not so sure that like letting Ryan Day w- do whatever the hell he wants to do on Saturday, I'm not 100% sure that wouldn't be the best thing. Yep. 
in 2013 at the Big Ten title game, I think we, Tom Herman, I think, wanted to give it to Carlos Hyde on fourth and two, and Urban Meyer wanted to keep the ball in the hands of their best player, Braxton Miller, and Braxton Miller got tackled. If Jeff Hyman makes a block, maybe Braxton Miller runs for a touchdown, and Urban Meyer's a genius. You have conflict, and it's Urban Meyer's team. He gets to decide. Unless he decides, I don't get to decide. And I don't think he's ever going to do that, but I think there is possibly a tiny part of today that was actually removing Urban from the equation. I'm not saying that that means they should, that Urban Meyer should stay on his couch forever, but I think that was Ryan Day's dream of an offense. And I'm imagining 90% that's what we're going to see the rest of the year. I also think it might be 10% switched based on, and maybe for the better. Urban Meyer's a really good offensive mind. That was Ryan, that was Ryan Day today, and it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest difference that I would attribute to Urban not being involved in the play calling was the tempo. They were really fast. For basically the entire first half, they were really fast, which is great. Completely they, they, agree. They were awesome. But I think it, I think it goes back and, and you sort of hit on it. I feel like there are times, even last year with JT quarterback as a veteran quarterback, did I say JT quarterback? JT Barrett as a veteran quarterback um, running the offense for four years. They got plays in late, like even against the, the teams they should kill, and I felt like that's there. Uh, it often felt like there was confusion, and then at the last second, like JT scrambling, going down the line, getting the play in, and then the play was like, "Oh, JT ran it." Um, there was none of that today. I feel like they knew what they were doing before they were going to do it almost all the time, and I'm comfortable attributing some of that to Urban, to Urban not being here. I'm going to ask Tim this question. Don't get mad. You'll get the answer at second. Okay. Okay. I think I know what's coming. At Sam underscore Spaghetti. Was Ohio State too quick to pull Tate Martell on his first drive? It seemed demonstrative of a lack of faith in the young guy. So he went out. They ran two plays that didn't really work. I think it was third and eight. Dwayne Haskins came in, completed the pass, and then stayed in the rest of that drive, right? Yeah. Tim, what did you think of how they handled that? I think that was fine. You know, if if Dave Martell, if Tate Martell really didn't have anything going, then go ahead and pull – Make the poll to go back to Haskins and if you want to continue that drive because you really just don't want to stall just because you wanted to give Tate Martell a little bit of a taste of what was going on. I didn't mind that they gave him a little bit of a, a sample there, gave him a little bit of a drive in that first half to kind of see what it was like. Ryan Day mentioned at the beginning of the week they were going to have give Martell some opportunities. He did play some of the game. He really didn't get a chance to show much. But again, you know, first taste against a defense that's not your own that doesn't know that you don't know inside and out what they're going to do is obviously a very different animal. But you don't you don't want to hurt a young guy's confidence, especially when you there's a chance you could need him later in the season. So maybe get get him get his toes wet, pull him out, and then you kind of go back over then. He has a chance to kind of slowly build on the little, the, the few opportunities that he had. So you like that you were okay with it? I had no issue, mostly because they ended up doing well that drive, anyways. I think I hated it, um, and I don't hate it just because I love Tate Martell. I would have hated it if Matthew Baldwin was the quarterback. If you're confident enough in Tate Martell to put him in with the first team offense in the first half, then you should be confident enough to leave him in the game on third down. And if you're not, then he shouldn't be in there until it's garbage time and he plays as a normal number two quarterback. I think they didn't make up their mind what they want to do with him. Um, it was fine. It worked out against Oregon State, and maybe it'll work out every time they try to do that. But I don't think swapping quarterbacks within a drive has worked very well for 
most teams that try to do it over the course of college football history. They tried to do it with Cardale and JT in 2015 and it didn't work. And then they eventually just went with one guy. Um, I'm not going to go down that road now because I don't think this is an issue. I just thought that was kind of a bizarre sequence. And I would prefer an offense not do that because I think it does the opposite of what Tim says. I think it does mess with Tate Martell's confidence. You're confident in him to go out there and hand the ball off to guys on first and second down, but on third and eight, you're not confident enough to give him the ball. I think there's a negative impact on Tate Martell. You're not protecting him from anything. You're hurting his confidence when you do that. I disagree. I was okay with it. To me, he's the running quarterback, and I think he knows that. And when and if, if Dwayne Haskins keeps this up, he's here for a year, and Tate Martell's the starting quarterback next year. And then he'll be the everything quarterback. Um, I think he's a changeup. I think he's their version of the Wildcat. I think the idea of Tate Martell playing the fifth series, no matter what, or something like that, is great. I don't think you want to get in the habit of playing Tate Martell, and if he's good, playing him more, and if he's bad, playing him less. I don't think you want to get in the habit of, of if Dwayne Haskins looks shaky, Tate Martell comes in sooner. I don't think you want... If you want to play Tate Martell in a package, you do it because you want to give the defense a different look. I am not in favor of like it being punitive. I, I'm in favor of it being explained to both quarterbacks. I'm in favor of it giving a defense something else to prepare for during the week. And you know what? I guess my question for you, Bill, would be on third and eight, which quarterback gives Ohio State the better chance to get a first down, Tate Martell or Dwayne Haskins? Dwayne Haskins. So why wouldn't you put him in? Uh, no, I think I think that's a fair question, um, and I'm not against the Tate Martell package either. I just think if you're going to do it, you should stick with it. I don't like pull, pulling him felt punitive. But I think, but if it's like crappy play, crappy play, Haskins comes in on third and eight, then maybe I guess you, if they would have put Tate back in, like okay, Dwayne came in to bail you out because Dwayne has a rocket. Now it's first down. Now now Tate's back. Would you, would that have made more sense? Would you have been okay with that? And Tate finishes the drive. No, I don't like I don't like swapping quarterbacks out like that. I think so if you're going to put a guy in for a drive, then commit to him, and that's it. I mean, maybe I'm in the minority in thinking that, but that's just how I would prefer the quarterbacks to be managed. What if What if the rule is Tate, you're in. This is your drive. But if you get to anything longer than third and seven, you're out, and Dwayne's in for the rest of the drive. Don't get in third and long. I mean, I guess if that's understood, then it's okay. Um, I don't know. I just don't. I don't like. I don't like swapping quarterbacks like you're swapping lines in hockey. I, I didn't. I didn't think it was punitive. I thought it was realistic. And like, all right, well, Tate, you'll get him next time. Like that was a. Yeah. That was a. I meant to. I almost said it. That was a crap show. I mean, I don't <laughs> even know what those first two plays were, frankly. Yeah, it was like bad. it was. It was bad, and it's not like it's all his fault. Though. I think the blocking was bad. Something got screwed up. I, I, I'm intrigued by it. I, I like the idea of Tate Martell doing something at quarterback in a game against good teams. I like that more than I like Tate Martell not being involved. I just, I guess, keep thinking about for the Michigan game, if it makes Don Brown in Michigan work on it for two hours during Thanksgiving week, that's gaming you something. Yeah, that's true. And if they don't work on it and then you put it in and it's like, well, he's getting the fifth series no matter what, whether you're up 21 nothing, you're down 21 nothing, you're tied at seven, here comes Tate Martell, ziggity zag, option, boom, zibop, bop. I'm good. It's just Wildcat. We've seen it. It's Wildcat yeah. with a quarterback. We've seen teams do that many times over the years just for an alternate look. They're, they've moved so far away from the quarterback run. I think I said this to you. Tate Martell's a nicotine patch. They're addicts. They're addicted. They're trying to quit because they know they don't want to give, they don't want to give Dwayne Haskins a cigarette. But for their own health, they have to put on the tape patch, and they're like, oh. Or they just go out, they bum one. They bum one on the fifth drive, and they're like, oh, God, that feels so good. 
Like, they were smoking three packs a day with JT for four years. <laughs> now they're cold turkey with Dwayne? Yeah. Now, Dwayne, they're chewing gum. They're eating healthy. They're going for walks, right? They feel great, but... <sighs> Oh, I could inhale some Tate right now. That feels good. That's I mean, that's okay. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. All right. Um, this is a direct. I, I stumbled on this by accident. Brian O'Connor at Bocon one eight two was Demario McCall suspended for the first half? Demario McCall on the sheets was the return guy. Demario McCall did not play in the first half. C.J. Saunders was the return guy. In the second half, Demario McCall became the return guy. And when Ryan Day left the podium and was walking away, I ran up and I said to Ryan Day, was Demario suspended for the first half? What did he say? No, 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 no. So that doesn't mean he's telling me the truth. I didn't want to ask it in the press conference because I thought that was 0% chance to get the truth. I think he could. I thought he might say, yeah, but don't say. Like, he said no. So I don't know what that was. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it means when a guy who's first on the depth chart doesn't play in a half and then totally plays in another half. Like, I kind of don't believe it, but I don't have any information that he was suspended. And the head coach said, no, he was not suspended. I just don't know if I believe him. So I, I, I don't know what it is otherwise. What was it otherwise? I, I don't know. I didn't think of it when – because you floated that idea before Ryan Day came to the podium. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's because you saw yeah. the question. I, um, I think I actually pitched this idea to Doug. I kind of asked him a little bit what, when Saunders went back. I'm like, was there Mar- does that mean DeMar is suspended? And you were like, not, bad, not a bad idea. I mean, that, that, that at least explains it because otherwise what would explain it? Nothing. Nothing would explain it. So I don't know. I mean, whatever we asked, I don't know. We don't have an. I don't have an inside info. And tomorrow's can ask again on Monday and find out. I I don't know. It's it's fine. I mean, if if he is, if he was, then stuff happens. I don't know. I I I mean, can I love? Can I love a punt returner? Is that allowed? I mean, can I love a punt? So he's my Tate. I mean, I I gotta find your Tate. I got a little second. I got a little second half tomorrow. Demario, blow out that. Woo! Felt good. I gotta find my Tate then. that's my project. Jeff Brom. <laughs> no, but you abandoned it. But, I, I mean, is that a thing? Find your Tate? Yeah. Everyone in life, find your Tate. Yeah. Well, I mean, on this team, I have to find my Tate. Maybe I'll make that my project in the next podcast. Pick a Tate. Yeah, that's my pick guy. Tim's I know Tate. You, you, I already know who you're going to pick. Who? Robert Landers. Oh, yeah. He oh, is yeah. your Tate. You have a Tate. You don't, say, you don't even realize it. Oh, yeah. You'd pick Tim's Tate is, oh, is a letter away <laughs> from very dangerous territory. <laughs> Michigan Buckeye. This is happening. We're recording this while Michigan and Notre Dame are playing, and Michigan is not playing very well and losing to Notre Dame. Have your predictions for the season changed at all after this week's games? Um, that includes Michigan and Penn State not looking very good and an unimpressive first half for Michigan. So and I think we got another question or two about that. Basically, like, is the Big Ten East not what we thought? What, what are you taking away from Penn State escaping App State, Michigan State coming back and like barely hanging on against Utah State, and I don't. Michigan, I think, could come back and win the Notre Dame game, but they didn't start out great. I don't know what's happening in the Michigan Notre Dame game, so I guess I can't really give my opinion on that. Um, I picked Penn State to finish fourth among those teams, and that's not my way of telling you. I told you so. I just think they have a lot to overcome. They lost a lot, including Joe Moorhead, which like I still think might be the biggest loss any team suffered in the Big Ten. Um, and I also think like Michigan doesn't Michigan State do that every year? Doesn't Michigan State play some weird non-conference yes. team in the first game and like almost lose? Correct. So I didn't think too much of that. Um, 
Penn State won. App State is not the App State that upset, Mich- upset Michigan a decade ago. Like they're a respectable football program that's kind of on the rise, and they're a pretty good team. Um, that's not to give Penn State excuses. They should win that game and not have to sweat it out. But I just think they have a lot of stuff to work through. And then Michigan, what's the Michigan score right now? Fourteen to three, Notre Dame. At this moment, it's eight fifty four on my phone. They just got their first and goal now at the five yard line. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like. I, I'm not watching the game, so I thought that'd be a low scoring game with two good defenses and two offenses trying to figure some stuff out. So. We'll see how it plays out. Notre Dame scored a touchdown on a pass that, like, a Michigan dude was, like, right there, and it went through his hands. Yeah, it, it was an underthrown ball from Brandon Wimbush uh, that I, I can't remember the receiver's name, but he made it. I play him. And I can, answer this, I can answer this question briefly. I picked Notre Dame to be Michigan, so it changes zero about my thought process. I can, I can answer this question briefly by saying, Woo, Timmy boy, got yeah. it right. But you also said that you thought four teams in the East would win ten games. Well, that's one game. It was one game, and I think I can explain Penn State maybe a little bit. They're still trying to figure things out after not just losing Saquon Barkley, but losing so many guys on their defense, including guys like Jason Gabinda, Ryan Buckholtz, I think, retired prior to the season with injury stuff. They had some secondary losses. Um, and App State's a really good team. And Michigan State, it's just what Sparty does at the beginning of the season. Some reason, at the beginning of seasons, more often than not, they have a head-scratching opener, and then by October, they look like Sparty again. I, I will say, uh, I do think the person at Penn State who scheduled App State sh- will be fired. Yeah. I, like, how do we, and I, I know Utah State had been down for the last couple of years, but Matt Wells, they've been good there before. Like, to describe how much better Appalachian State is than Oregon State is not, yeah. not in the same realm. Ohio and, State by a wide margin, played the worst team of those four teams. Congratulations. And I, I, I may write this at some point. Martin Jarmond, Martin Jarmond, who was the scheduling guy, who's now the full, the full AD at Boston College. It's a Pac-12 win. It's a Power 5 win against that collection of beaver dung. And meanwhile, App State that people don't even realize is like an FCS team or an FBS team now. Yeah. They're on the same level. I think they won 10 games two years ago. Like, people don't even know that. And they're taking Penn State to overtime. And I think they dominated Toledo. I think won the MAC by a, a wide margin. It was either Akron or Toledo playing. and they destroyed them in a bowl game last year. Like I know people love to like mock everybody for like playing. Cl- Appalachian State absolutely. If Ohio State ever scheduled App State, they could absolutely come in here and win. Yeah. So like, yeah. just thank the scheduling gods that like that's never going to happen. But you know what today's date is. September 1st. Do you know what date Michigan lost to Appalachian State? October 27th. September 1st. I did, I did see something that like on this date, they have the win over Michigan and like an overtime loss to like number nine Tennessee and now the overtime loss to number 10 Penn State. Should be a big, I think there's going to be a new rule, unspoken rule in the Big Ten that whenever September 1st comes around, no Big Ten school should play Appalachian State. Nobody should play them at all. Or unless they let them be in the, they're better than Rutgers, let them be in the Big Ten. North, they're in North Carolina? They want, yeah, to get North a, they want to get North Carolina, get them in, just put them in. They should replace Illinois, though. Yeah, replace <laughs> Illinois. Yeah. That guy should be the Illinois coach more than Lovey Smith should be the Illinois <laughs> coach. Uh, Eddie Vulich at Zadea. Can Ryan Day fire Bill Davis since he's currently the acting head coach? <laughs> no. He's no? Like, no. He's only got one more day, technically, as the That act- would be, of, like, of all the things we wondered of, like, what kind of power move is Ryan Day going to make? <laughs> it's like firing Urban's best friend. <laughs> Is first on that list. Oh my God! <laughs> now I want that to. That would be an, that would be an awkward day when Urban Meyer returns, <laughs> walks in. Like, Where's Bill? <laughs> I'd like to imagine that conference if if it's happened. Like Ryan, Ryan Day sitting in Urban's chair. Urban knocks on the door. 
That's not what other word sounds like. What did, Don't try to do sound effects. What did you do, Ryan? But, but like, it's like, I did it for the good of the team. Like, you have blind spots for these people. I put Ohio State first. Bill's gone. Yeah. And be like, all right. Um, Eddie Vizadea also asked a good question. How much of Haskins not being a runner today, again, no called runs, two scrambles, had to do with the fact that Urban Meyer wasn't on the field? Will Meyer make Haskins do more JT things when he returns? You guys answer no, I don't think so. Like the game dictates it. And I asked Wayne, like specifically after the game, I said, how many times were you asked to make a read in the run game? There were the, the options were either you give it and run or you keep it and run or you give it. Um, and he said a couple of times in the defense every time made him keep the ball. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily true against a team like Oregon State. You can make the wrong read, whether you do it unintentionally or intentionally and give the ball to the running back and live to tell about it. Um, I think they're going to have to test it out. I think you want to see what he does in the third and two QB draw or run some power with him just to see if he can do it because it's an important part of the offense. But um, it's going to be lessened to a dramatic extent and maybe even more dramatically than I thought it would be uh, coming into the year because it's just not what he does best. And he said, Dwayne said, I don't think I'll have to run that much this year. That was a quote from Dwayne after the game that I had on my story. He said, I don't think I'll have to run that much this year. We have good running backs. So... I don't know. Like, I don't think Urban's going to come in against Tulane and run Dwayne ten times. Um, but I think they'll try it. I think they have to try it. I think if you're paying Ryan Day more than a million dollars, you at least have to be willing to take his advice a lot more than you did a year ago. And I just look at the stats. Haskins only ran twice for 24 yards. One of those was the only play I can recall where, ever, where Oregon State actually played good coverage on everybody, but they forgot Dwayne Haskins. He, he made, like, almost a casual scamper for 17 yards. I don't know. I don't know how fast Dwayne Haskins is, but it looked it looked like he was scampering for 17 yards. Maybe I'm being a little mean when I say that, but it, I mean, isn't he, a scamper fast? A, he I jogged. Got, I said casual scamper. Casual scamper. I would name. Uh, I would name my son casual scamper. Yeah, like that's like a like casual casual, st- casual scamper is like a shortstop. Yeah. Yeah. Scamper. Get in there. From like ni- uh, like a 1920 shortstop. Yeah. Yeah. He was a character in uh, The Natural. Casual yeah. scamper. Uh, okay. Well, we're going to get out of here. I, I, the main thing is is like just people being concerned about the defense. Again, it's the main thing. Bill Davis, running back split, um, praise for Weber, and concerned about the defense. We did two videos earlier. Make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel, by the way, um, where we put faces and bodies to these voices. Cleveland.com, Ohio State. Type that in on YouTube. Get subscribed. You'll see all our videos. We did a Dwayne Haskins video. Quickly, what were our grades for Dwayne Haskins' performance? Negative, Tim, what was your grade? A-. minus. Uh, down the middle, Bill, what was your grade? A. Super happy, Doug. A++. Concern for the defense, again, I think we said 5, 6, 7 were our ratings. Just like overall, people are saying how concerned should they be and what are the fixes. So, a quick le- answer on concern and then any fix that you would suggest, a change in personnel, a change in scheme, a change in something beyond Jordan Fuller getting healthy that you might suggest. Tough Borland getting healthy? Tough, tough Borland? I think they, they missed tough today. How, how much, so, so you think, do you want tough Borland at middle linebacker as a starting middle linebacker all the time? Until the young guys can show they're ready. They were out of position a lot. And if like, and I'm fine contributing that to youth, but until they're ready, I think tough needs a play. It's what happened last year. Like they weren't just weren't ready for it. They couldn't handle it. Tough played and it got better. So if like tough needs to like be the band aid at the moment, I think that's fine. 
Yeah, I think I think in the week maybe the linebackers and the new safeties will realize they probably need to slow things down a little bit. And maybe it becomes a situation where, like you said, Bill, tough moves back in. Maybe they kick Browning outside and Pete Weber becomes the fourth linebacker. Pete Weber is a professional bowler. Pete, Pete Werner is a linebacker for Ohio State. I meant Pete Werner. I'm going I'm going to get I wish Pete Weber played linebacker for Ohio State. I was I was jotting down the file names on the recordings. I, I had Weber and Warner. I'm going to mess that up at least five times this season. I, I do think it's the idea of like playing tough and then like Browning's in there with rotating like th- those four guys for the three spots and, and maybe you don't want Browning trying to play middle and outside in the same game, yeah. right? So I think that's interesting. I, I Coming into this game, I, w- I was assuming I'd be fine with Baron Browning at middle linebacker, and I would like I'd like a Browning Borland split somehow. I think we'd reference like Rayquan McMillan, Curtis Grant in 2014. I think it's an interesting point you made. That I would not have automatically thought that that to me, obviously Fuller's an answer. Fuller's healthy, he plays you're much better. The idea that Borland would maybe almost do the same, but the point you made last year, it was like the linebackers are in disarray. What did they do? They put in tough, and he kind of fixed it. Yeah, he put in tough, and guys got in positions they were more comfortable in. That is that is a strong. You writing it? Sure. Yeah. That's a good that's a Buckeye take. Yeah, that's a good Buckeye take. Um, I find that very interesting. I'm not sure what else they would do. I'm, the one thing that I'm that I'm putting on that I think is on the table is um, I thought Pryor made some mistakes today again from youth, um, and it's like oh, put in an even younger guy. <laughs> but as I've as I've sort of said, it's like all this stuff. I was making the point that. Like in 2013, uh, when Christian Bryant got hurt, they played Corey Pittsburgh Brown, and they didn't put in Von Bell. And Pittsburgh Brown was out of out of place on a crucial throw in the Big Ten championship game, and they got beat. And it's like, if you're going to play older guys, they they can't make mistakes because Von Bell was better than him, but they weren't playing Von Bell as a freshman. It's like, well, he's too young. It's like, well, then, like you can't if you're going to make mistakes, make mistakes with a younger, talented guy. So. My point to that is, we're saying Pryor and Wint are old, are young. They are young. They're second year. Like, is Wint a redshirt sophomore? Wint's in his third year, and, Pry- and Pryor's in his second year. Okay, but Wint has a, has a redshirt in there, or no? Yeah. Okay. So it's both of them. It's the second year being on the field, first time starting on defense, right? They're young, but they're older than Josh Proctor. I don't know why I'm obsessed with Josh Proctor. He like covered one kick, but I'm just saying, if like the sophomores are out of position. Maybe see if the freaky freshman's out of position or not. Yeah. And I, I don't mean tomorrow, but I mean maybe like let's keep that on the table. I'm not – off of this today, they miss Fuller. We knew – we talked about the opposite. I don't even know what safety spot it is. All we do is we call it the safety spot opposite Jordan Fuller. We knew that was a competition. I don't know that – when Fuller comes back, I don't know that that's been answered. Like Fuller's yeah. back, he's one for sure. Every down, he's one. Who's at the other one? I don't know that either Pryor or Wint showed. Like, well, he's the guy. So that makes me think keep the options open. Maybe it's Amir Reap who played with the twos some today. Yep. Maybe it's Josh Proctor. Maybe it's somebody. Maybe it's Brendan, Brendan White. White. They have a lot of other options, and so. I think Alex Grinch needs to keep that on the table. Disagree? Agree? No, I agree. I agree. And you have you have a schedule, well, at least one more game that allows you to, to work some stuff out, I think. All right. Um, we'll cut it off there. Really good questions. This is how we're going to do it. We're going to go shorter than an hour. Really good questions. Um, you can always, the best thing is to send them to at Buckeye Talk Pod, like at when the game ends or near the end of the game. We'll run through that. 
We're going to do it every Wednesday as usual. That's the big meaty two uh, – not meaty. That's the grab-ass two-hour podcast <laughs> talking about other stuff. Post-game, we're going to give you hardcore football talk based on what just happened on the field. So get subscribed to Buckeye Talk on Apple Podcasts. Uh, do it on Spotify, Google Play, anywhere you can find. Stitcher, right? Everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. We're going to have a ton of stuff floating through there. And a big thing is get subscribed to the YouTube channel. We, we have some overlap of we write, we video, we pod, and we talk some of the same things, but not all of the same things. Those are smaller tidbits. If you get tired of our voices for 45 minutes or two hours, take a little three-minute hit, and then you, you, you see what we're wearing. That's your tape. Last I looked at the channel, we're close to 3,500. When should we? Let's see if we can challenge the listeners. When can we get this? When do we want them to try and get it to 4,000? We're not that far off. I think we're at like 3,800. Really? I thought we were, thought yeah. we were closer to 35. I think Maybe like I can't 3,480 something. Okay. Um, in, in the next 12 hours. Is okay. that fair? Okay. And correct me if I'm wrong. You're wrong. You, you listeners out there, you could probably help me. Maybe I think on some YouTube channels, there's like a bell you can click on. They'll give you notifications when we have a new video that maybe you can get it pushed to your phones. So every time you're on your cell phone, you get a little ping that could be us with a brand new video. Give that a try. See how it works. And and now that he's playing, we might bring back House Martell. I saw a guy today when I was walking to Skull Session who had on a black number 18 jersey that I swore said House Martell on the back, and then I got closer to him, and it was a black T.J. Hushmanzada, Oregon State jersey. <laughs> <laughs> but I was about to walk up to him. I was like, oh, it doesn't say it says Hushmanzada. Wow. You yeah. just are willing things into existence yeah, at I, this point. I, can, I, I think I could imagine your heart dropping. I was so excited and then so disappointed in, like, the span of eight seconds. All right. And then it turned to womp, womp. Bill Landis, Tim Bielik, Doug Maurice, thanks to you guys for listening to Buckeye Talk. Go read, for real. Go read it at cleveland.com slash OSU. That's really what we do. I mean, as you can tell, we're not professional podcasters. God forbid this was like the most important thing we did. We'd be laid off in five minutes. <laughs> this is the bonus, dingling stuff. We're writers. We're, we're, we're professional writers. We put words together on a computer screen. Mm-hmm. So go read it. Thanks to you guys for listening. Catch us back for the full thing on Wednesday. And from Ohio Stadium, after Ohio State's, what was the score? 77 to 31. 77 to 31 win over the Fighting Beavers from Corvallis, Oregon. That was Buckeye Talk.